0: Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. On the Tillage Edge a couple of weeks ago, we discussed 2021 and how that was for tillage farmers in Ireland. Whether you're a grain farmer in Ireland, France, Ukraine, USA or Argentina, we're all at the mercy of weather and it can be a huge ally or even play havoc in any given year. This year was one of those years. This year was terrific for Ireland, but not so great for many farmers around the world, especially in Canada and South America. We touched base with Andy Mann, a farm manager in the UK at the start of the summer, and Andy is joining us today to chat about how his farming year progressed, and also a view as regards to UK farming this year. Andy, you're very welcome, and it's great to have you back in the podcast again. So Andy, how are you since we last spoke, and how would you describe how 2021 treated you this year? It's not been too bad. Uh, we had
1: an uh, interesting harvest. Um Not well, it's one to remember, but probably not for the right reasons. Some good reasons and bad. Um and a great autumn. We've had a fantastic the weather through from September, October, November has been amazing. I mean, even today we're middle of December and I don't need a coat. It's really mild outside. It's bizarre sort of weather. So um uh yeah, no, it's been not
0: been too bad, thanks. Been pretty good, great. So when we last spoke to you in June, you were saying at the time you were generally speaking relatively happy with your crops at that stage. And maybe before we get to the actual the yields and harvest, how did it turn out in terms of or were you happy with um, your disease control strategy that you put in place or your, maybe even your um, weed control strategy you put, you put in place? So, for, well, just running through each of the crops, uh,
1: winter wheat. Um, yeah, it was looking good in June. Um, June turned quite wet with us. And my strategy had been sort of uh, fairly lean up to that point. And I did some Bayer rapid tests for Septoria uh, leading up to sort of post T2, I suppose, sort of post flag leaf sprays um, just prior to ear wash. And I had a chat with a guy from Bayer, he's a good friend of mine. And um, he'd been doing rapid testing weekly um, uh, through the season on his trial site, which is about an hour south of me. And he said there's been no Um, And then suddenly it started to come in a bit later on. So we'd we'd only used one SCHI F- at, at T2. That was the only time we'd put an S D H I in the crop. Um, so I went with um, an SCHI at T3, which by luck, I suppose, and a little bit of judgment there, that paid dividends, I think, because the tail end of the growing season was quite wet leading into harvest. Um, disease pressure really ramped up. Uh, septoria wise certainly towards towards the end of the season um and the spring crops were fine they they motored on through okay um and we had it was very strange coming into harvest it was sort of dull overcast weather we we cut the winter wheat uh probably right at the very end of july i guess now okay and that surpassed my expectations it didn't look any different to any other crop i've grown but we averaged close to 11 tons a hectare, um, which wow. is unbelievable for us. That's we're normally around nine, nine point two, nine point three is normally what I budget. So I was absolutely staggered with that result. Um, a big bonus for you this why, year, then,
0: Andy, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't really know why. A lot of it was after peas, so that obviously helped. Um, but yeah, we, we must have done something right because, uh, yeah, I, I was absolutely gobsmacked with, with the uh, with that yield, so uh, that was great.
0: And I suppose just just remind everyone, Andy, just in case they, they 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 forget maybe a little bit, but that's all on a on a no till system, yeah,
1: zero till, so no cultivations. Um, yeah, it was all just direct drill with a disc drill, um, all the winter wheat, so um, yeah, and I mean, there's was, there's was a fair range in that from we had one field did close to 13 tons a hectare. <clears throat> after peas and then you know we had we had some that was near our sort of average at nine so um there's a good good range of yields there um the standout variety was crusoe has always been pretty consistent for us we grow quite a lot for warburton's bread um and that proteins were low because of the high yields i think but um and x stays as well x days was uh really good yielded really really well um I feel it it just looked good all the way through, so definitely a variety. We've grown a little bit more of that this year. So, um, uh, How
0: about your spring crops, Andy?
1: So spring crops were less, spring wheat was less good. Um, We had, again, the growing season, very frosty through April, so it was very slow getting going, very dull, overcast through sort of early part of the summer, so um, not a vintage year for spring crops. We were probably more like the sort of uh, four and a half, five ton of hectare on spring wheat which um you know that's quite disappointing really uh it's cheap to grow but even at that you know that's not terribly exciting for us uh last year and, and previous years we've been more six to you know probably average just over six ton of hectare. so probably a ton of hectare down on the spring wheat the oats did very well again uh our long-term average is probably about uh five and a half tons for spring oats and we, we were bang on that again this year um Oat straw was very, very green at harvest, though, and um, but the bushel weights were very good on the oats. I can't remember off the top of my head now what they were, but okay. they've made milling grades, so um, they're, they're leaving the farm next month. So, uh, yeah, pretty happy with that.
0: Okay. And as you, as you went through the harvest, Andy, was it um, kind enough to you over here in Ireland? We, we got a really good run at it, probably exceptional, really, with winter barley coming in at um, 12% moisture content bit of rain and then it just went lovely and smoothly how did it work out for yourselves <laughs> i've seen it, a few lads over here describe it as the
1: um wettest dry harvest we've ever had and that about sums it up we had very little rain but uh heavy dews, dull just dull cl- you know cloudy days with no wind no sunshine moisture sat at sort of 17 18 percent in the wheat. all you know just day after day like that just you know not just not getting any
0: wetter but not
1: getting any drier either and, and that, that, that dry... sounds
0: like it sounds like ireland you should, you yeah. were essentially <laughs> yeah.
1: farming in ireland in england last year that's, that, that's yeah. just... exactly that um it's just cloudy all the time i think that was the killer it was there was no wind and it was just cloudy uh and it was just it felt relentless really you know it was warm and everything but just the moisture just weren't coming down and um so we dried virtually everything we've got on floor drying so uh we've got four big sheds that hold about 900 tons in each bay so um we dried very, well everything pretty much bar a few a few loads that we didn't dry but uh so yeah it's an expensive uh harvest in that respect in terms of drying and stuff but uh but yeah it's all, all safety and the quality's been it's all bushel uh bushel weights are good Agbergs are all good protein. Like I say, I think because we had such high yields, I've never, I'd like say, we don't normally expect to grow yields like that. So um, uh, the proteins are quite low. They're probably sort of 12 percent protein. In a lot of the, the Crusoe winter wheat.
0: Right. Well, geez, that's 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 even pretty good protein in furnace given given the yields that you're after. Getting, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. And and when you go back, um, Andy, just in terms of uh, and again for I suppose mostly Irish listeners. If if uh, people over here were getting between seventeen and eighteen percent in terms of moisture content year on year in winter wheat, they'd be delighted to take it every year. For yourselves, it's probably under fifteen most years, is it? Uh, I'd usually budget to to probably dry half of the wheat, I suppose.
1: Um, and some years I don't dry anything at all, and then like harvest like this year, we dry everything. Um, yeah, you know, our, our drying system can't. It can. can on floor drying from 18 percent down isn't too bad but when you start to get above 18 we were cutting some stuff at 20 and stuff like I, and again i appreciate that uh speaking to irish farmers or even uh farmers in the north of england or scotland that that'd be they'd be pretty happy to cut anything in the you know that sort of moisture but um for us you know we're not really geared to it and we you, we've got a, a like a grain butler that can stir the grain and, and if you stiff stuff and i said that over 18 percent you're pretty much guaranteed you're gonna to have to stir it so um again that's another couple of days for somebody uh in the grain stores looking after that so um
0: and in terms of your setup andy in terms of your harvest machinery and extra staff and that end because i know you're you certainly said um as we were chatting to you earlier in the year um, you have a very lean staff requirement yeah. for the size of farm you're on how do you manage over harvest period yeah, I mean, it's it's
1: uh, we were tight this year. I normally, uh, there's a chap, uh, Paul, who is retired uh, from the farm, I normally comes in and helps uh, um, haul and grain for us. Um, unfortunately, he was ill this year. He he uh, couldn't make it. So it ends up I had, um, I took on a local fella who came hauling and grain for us. Paul, who works for me for eight months a year, he drives a combine. And then I shared uh, another uh, tractor and trailer with I had uh, my eldest son. Um, he hasn't unfortunately got a full driving license yet, but he was able to um, haul grain for me. I did a bit. Um, and uh, my wife jumped on it a bit as well. And Lucy is one of the owners here as well. She jumped on it. So we sort of shared between all of us, we managed to get it all done. And, um, and then, yeah, it's just myself and Paul, you know, <laughs> pretty flat out on it drilling cover crops in between times and what have you as well so um yeah it's been it was a busy few months so we need to get a bit better organized next year i think
0: so is there is a reason you're bringing your wife and your son out so he can actually see them? because it sounds like you'd be very busy at harvest time yeah. you get home
1: a lot. i know he, he's farming mad like a lot of young lads so uh he's a teenager and he, he wants to go to uh college next year so uh yeah he's glad uh, glad of the experience yeah. Right.
0: So you mentioned there, in, in, by bypassing it there, you mentioned that you are, um, I suppose, starting uh, preparing for the next year in the middle of harvest in terms of putting in cover crops and that kind of thing. Um, do you try to get much of those in as you're going through harvest or do you have a kind of a target date for, for getting them in? Yeah, I think um, in an
1: ideal situation I'd have somebody else here uh, that could just sit on the drill, drilling right behind the combine. Um, I think the the more they call it the five minute fallow. So basically a lot of the, the guys who are switched on and have got the labor, they've got fellas that are sitting on a drill right up chasing the combine out of the field. And that would be the, the ideal situation. What we ended up doing, um, our CO8. So I I've, I've bought an old horse CO8 and eight meter drill. And we left that sat on one tractor and any downtime we had from combining, um, we were one of either me or Paul were on that drilling cover crops. And actually it's one thing that we did get right this year. We were on pretty tight behind the combine, but being so dry, um, they, they chitted and grew okay. Cause of our system, because we, we don't sort of lose a lot of moisture, but they didn't really get a, a lick on. If we'd had a couple of wet days in August, that would have helped us massively. I think, um, to get more growth, but yeah, you're right. We're sort of preparing ground for the following year.
0: Um, but 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 in terms of of that is it is it is all ground so if you're going from let's just say i'm not saying you're doing this now but you're going from one winter crop to the next winter crop and you only have that kind of two month or three month kind of fallow period in the middle are you targeting that for cover crops as well um i this year i have some of it i have and some of it i haven't
1: so stuff that i think i'm going to drill fairly early so for us that would be last week of september i probably wouldn't bother uh, putting a cover crop in there stuff that i know i'm probably going to be drilling more towards the middle of october um i probably will put something in um again i was a bit greedy i suppose this year we 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 put i had planned a bigger spring uh, acreage but the going was just so good in october that we kept drilling and kept drilling a bit more so we were drilling into all, uh, cover crops that we put in in the summer um uh, this year but generally i wouldn't i don't worry too much i don't thing, unless we've got a long gap, but we don't grow oilseed rape or winter barley, so unless I'm going to have a long gap um, from harvest through to autumn drilling, I, I wouldn't bother, to be honest. Uh, I don't see the benefit, but for us, if you're cutting winter wheat, middle of August, and you're going to be planting uh, four weeks later, they just, I don't think the cover crops are worthwhile.
0: Okay, and in terms of the cover crops that are in there for for a long time over the winter time. Have you delved down the, the the avenue of bringing animals into the place to, to try and graze them out?
1: We have at times. Yeah. I've had sheep in, uh, I've got, I'm very lucky actually, there's a guy, uh, Rob nearby who, who's who got a flock of sheep and he'll, he's very well kitted out and organized for electric fencing and everything. And he'll come and drop, you know, 200 ewes in and run them around and he doesn't overgraze. them. that can be a problem. if they take it down too far. Um, This year he, we came and had a look and they were so patchy and they're great in places, but there's just not enough for him to stick the, um, he's got a big trailer behind his, uh, uh, you know, stock box on a, on a trailer, on a flatbed trailer that he brings over. And he said, it's just not worth his while bringing them this year. There's just not enough there. So um, in the cover crops. uh, So we haven't grazed them this year, but yeah, we have in the past. Yeah.
0: So the, I suppose the other thing then, if you're not being grazed by that, uh, other uh, farmers might um, say, well, if you're not going to be grazed by that, you're probably going to be grazed by slugs. How do you find trying to put in the next, you know, the, the, the I suppose the main crop in after the cover crops in terms of slugs or, or other pest issues?
1: I don't find slugs too much. Since we stopped oil seed rape, slugs are a lot less of an issue for us. Um, and uh, with the drills that we use, so the horse probably maybe potentially more slug problems after that because it leaves the seed slot a bit, a bit open um, or a bit looser but certainly not behind the horizon drill the disc drill that we run that puts it back pretty tight so the slugs can't move about so much I have used more slug pellets this year than I have for the last two years but um, not for any particular that's um, after our oats we've had to use slug pellets and after a bit of some of the spring wheat but not we haven't done the whole farm. We've done probably about 40% of what we've planted this autumn. 40% of the winter wheat had slug pellets on it. I'd say this year, um, but I don't. I don't find slugs any worse really. I never use slug pellets in the spring with a spring crop. I haven't. I don't think I've ever. Maybe once, but that was back when I. I'm going back probably eight nine years ago when I had the Missouri um, strip till drill. We we did use slug pellets then in the spring where we had to, but. Uh, no, I don't, find them, I don't find slugs a problem after cover crops in the spring. Definitely not.
0: And it and, uh, just seems soon as we're, we're talking about slug pellets, um, just in terms of what you're using, are, are you still allowed to use metaldehyde there? Because I know there are certain limitations on it and so I'm not sure what are you getting rid of it a bit quicker than we are.
1: I haven't used metaldehyde for, for quite a few years now. I've been on the ferric phosphate for probably three or four years just from an environmental point of view. Uh, but yeah, this was the last you couldn't buy them but you could use up i think this autumn was the last last time you could use metaldehyde and that's it they're gone now
0: okay and you're you would be as happy in terms of the control of slugs with the ferric phosphate as you would have been with metaldehyde in the past
1: oh definitely yeah yeah i mean obviously the different you know ferric phosphate's more expensive um but they're a much longer lasting pellet um and i know you could buy metaldehyde more expensive metaldehyde that was longer lasting but certainly with phosphate i've never had a problem um it's not as visual certainly you know you just it's a um you know you don't see the dead slugs like you see with um metaldehyde but um you know we've applied them and the slugs have disappeared so all <laughs> the damage has stopped you don't really see all you see is the damage the grazing stops and uh yeah
0: okay so uh, you, you talked about a couple of varieties there, um, X-Days, I think, and uh, Crusoe, I think were the two varieties you talked about. In terms of your starting point for choosing those varieties, where is is it, is it a look to what happened the, the previous year or where do you kind of make that decision, if you like, in, in terms of what you're going to plan for the following year?
1: In terms of choosing varieties, well, I mean, I'm on a contract. We grow Cruso on contract. I've grown it for quite a few years. I quite like it. It seems to suit us well pretty good disease resistance brown rust is its only sort of real weakness um so crusoe would always be you know a good chunk of our wheat acreage and then it's um a case of there'll be a bit of second wheat and um balancing up the rest of it, it would probably just feed wheat um I, you know and I, I tend to try and pick out a few new varieties and maybe just get a couple of tons of seed and try it and if, it, if we like it we'll home save that and keep that for next year um, extaze was one of those we had 20 hectares of extaze this year, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, so, we've kept that and, and used some of that seed as seed for this year, if you like. So, we've got a bit more extaze in the ground this year. Um, Theodore was an interesting variety. Again, I had uh, 10 hectares of Theodore in the ground. Uh, no inputs on it other than fertilizer and trace elements, no fungicides at all. Um, the bushel weight was dreadful uh, it was like pine needles but um, but the yield was there it wasn't desperate yield wise and the gross margin on it was very good so what I've done is uh, bought some Costello um, mixed it with a Theodore and we've drilled the two sort of in a 50-50 blend um, the thinking being obviously Costello's got a very good bushel weight um, and reasonable disease resistance that we can hopefully use that as a lower input feed variety so we've got 40 hectares of that in the ground um we'll see how that comes out. Um whether the you know we mix another variety in with that next year or not, I don't know. But uh yeah, we'll see, see how that goes. So yeah, we'll, this year I've got next days the Theodore Costello mix um and uh Crusoe.
0: I suppose I could say it's it's an interesting um uh, departure, I suppose, in terms of mixing varieties and there's there's a lot more people interested in it and know, certainly here in Old Park, where we're starting to do a little bit of work on that. Um so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I haven't seen a huge amount of, of, of um, you know, solid research results on it yet to see kind of where that's going to go. But you might, we, we'll keep in touch with you to see how that's that's working. Along yeah. Through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of people will be interested to see. There's a, a, a good few lads over here now. Um, I can think of three or four guys who, who are doing more, probably three or four way blends um, and there are similar varieties to the, you know, sort of Theodore Costello and maybe a, a another in there as well. Um, uh, you know, and the, the, some of the trial sites I've visited last summer, though, and Nyab Tag over here, which um, they've been doing a lot of research, they, they've got a few trials with mixes in it as well. So,
0: okay, and uh, Andy, as, as regards the ideal planting days, I know you mentioned that you might be starting somewhere around September, and as I was given the um, the difference or the, the direct drill type system you have, establishment system you have. Is there an absolute ideal date for that? And I suppose, secondly, I suppose peppered into that question is what agronomic factors are you taking into account when you're going for that date?
1: I mean, the ideal date, if, if everything was equal, the best date for us to be planting would probably be, is the last week of September, um, around the 20th of September to start on cleaner ground. That uh, You know, that's where we'll get our best yields. Um, the trade off though is black grass for us. And, um, Obviously, you know, in an ideal world, from a black grass point of view, you don't want to be drilling before the middle of October. Um, and from a no-till point of view, I always work on the um, the theory of of two weeks earlier in the in the autumn and two weeks later in the spring when we start. Um, it just needs the ground to be that bit warmer for the crops to get away. They haven't got that mineralization with a, a bit of cultivation, so they need a you know a little bit a uh, little bit extra to get them away. So um, so yeah, we started in. Uh, last week September drilling and uh, in hindsight if I'd known what the weather was going to be I would have left it later because um, those early drilled fields are full of black grass um, we put a fairly robust pre-emergence and, and a peri-emergence oversides on but uh, we've still got you know in places some some pretty bad black grass two fields I'm thinking of um, probably 10 hectares where we'll have to spring crop that now Um they're actually going into an environmental scheme, so I might just um, pull them out, or one of them certainly, and and put uh, put it into straight into the environmental scheme. It would be into a, like a wild bird mix, anyway. So, um,
0: so, so you're thinking, a, you're thinking, Andy, is you, you won't be able to get on top of the black grass for for no, the season?
1: No, there's there's nothing post emergence on those. I, I can live with. Um, again, there's something I learned we with a couple of fields where with some pretty bad patches of black grass in it and the yields, it did drop off i mean a bad real bad black grass problem can drop you sort of two to three tons a hectare and we had some patches if it's not too thick i can live with it um but you've got to accept that you're not going to grow a winter crop in there the following year um you know you're going to have to flip over to a spring crop and i can live with that that's fine so um so i know on on the ground where i've got the winter wheat we planted early this year, the crews goes in early, we'll have to um, that you know that's destined, you know destined to be a spring crop next year because there'll be such a heavy seed return of black grass in there.
0: And and just for that, Andy, do you have an idea that that your black grass is pretty well resistant to the ALSs? Is it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yes, um, I haven't. We did some testing quite a few years ago, and we had a yeah full suite of resistance. So fluofenacet is about the only thing that really. You can get a good lump of flufenacet on early, but it was fairly, again, we've had such a dry autumn that um, I don't think they've worked that well. The later drilling, the pre have worked much better, where we drilled sort of into mid to late October. Um, and I did try some um, protruses as well from Bayer this year on a smaller area. That's done a really good job. So, um, But um, you can't, you know, I'm kicking myself a little bit because, I mean, it's one of those that do you leave it late and risk that you don't get drilled everything drilled or do you drill early and risk there's a bit of black grass and I, i'm a bit disappointed because i thought where we had drilled early those fields were fairly clean there have been uh there were spring oats last year um and not much black grass in the spring oats so there was obviously still a fair old seed bank there that we've um have chitted and
0: grown this year unfortunately great thing for all these kind of things isn't it? Exactly, yeah. and i might actually ask you for a bit of foresight now in terms of 2022 looking forward to, to, to the new year is there anything farming wise now i mean um anything that you're really looking forward to in 2022 and on the same kind of thing or maybe the, the opposite side of the coin is there something you think is coming along that's probably going to cause you a few headaches i think uh i'm looking forward to um watching the wheat market
1: it's pretty good at the moment um i haven't sold anything for next year we've still got stuff in the shed i've been selling bits and pieces here um over the last month or so and the price is just you know it's it's good at the moment i bought all my fertilizer last june um i probably paid about 80 pound a ton more than i did uh last year but it's all in the shed here and it's all you Great know purchase uh, yeah it looks it looks cheap now at the moment um I'm not looking forward to seeing the fertilizer prices next year because they might drop a bit, but I don't think the chat and the trade over here is that fertilizer prices high. Fertilizer prices are here to stay, um, and you know. But I, I equally, I think high grain prices are here for a little while as well. Um, and so, on the back of that, I see this coming spring as a chance to experiment and see how how low can we go, how much better we can be on nitrogen how much more efficient we can be can we use other other forms of nitrogen can we use you know biostimulants and stuff as well so that's my sort of uh i'm already i've sort of signed up to to get the use of an end tester from yara for the spring um and we're looking at um there's some products coming from um one manufacturer there's sort of two guys up in york who think they can give us better nitrogen use efficiency with, with um stuff that we can put down in drilling. So I'm looking that we're changing drill another horizon drill is actually we have ordered a long story on that, but um we're getting another horizon drill and I'm just debating whether to put a liquid system on that that I can put seed drenches down and possibly fertilizer as well. So um just to try and make us more efficient with, with fertilizers. Um so yeah that's that's the sort of plan I think for the spring anyway.
0: Well, it's certainly great to hear that you're, you're you're. There's a lot to look forward to, certainly in there. I just there's a few other things, but you're you're as ever, and you're you're experimenting, you're 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 learning, and uh, I, I think certainly, but it sounds that you're improving um, your your farm as you go.
1: Yeah, we're well, trying to, trying to. I think um, I think you've got to be doing. The trouble is, you can go and look at trials, and uh, no disrespect to you guys, who tell this, you know, you're doing lots of trials and and feeding information back to farmers as well. But I also think you know you can't beat and seeing stuff on your own farm and in your own situation and you know I've had varieties where I've looked at them in trials going back to when days when I grew all seed rape varieties that were, uh, you know breeders the so they're never no good and you look at them in trials and no good and actually you know I had a, one particular alien or was a great variety that grew really well here for us seemed to suit the farm well and you know so I think actually it's important to do a few trials on the farm here as well and and look at stuff yourself and and um, particularly with, with yield mapping and stuff nowadays it's um it's quite easy to to pick out results
0: yeah andy you're very good to give up your time again for us uh, and, as, and as always extremely interesting conversation with you i'm delighted to hear you get on so well in in 2021 and um look i hope we can touch base with you again in 2022 and see how you're getting on through the year and um, thanks again andy and uh, happy christmas to you and to your family thank you very much michael and yeah happy christmas to you and, and all the listeners so that's it for the Tillage Edge this side of Christmas and my thanks to Andy for joining me in the podcast. We hope to get back to Andy at some stage in early spring next year. So finally, don't forget, if you like the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chugas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening and have a very happy Christmas. And I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.